Hello and welcome to a new series of Tommy Ginders. And if you're new to the show, it shouldn't take too long to get your head round. It's basically a series where H and I wonder about things around the Isle of Man, about the Isle of Man, in the Isle of Man. And everything else. In this first series, daffodils, giants and loo rolls. Well, we're back again. I don't know how, but we are. No, it's a mystery. Uh, welcome as ever, and thanks to all those who uh, support the podcast as well. There are lots of people going out and listening to TMG on the uh, podcast, and the last one we did was the back end of last year. Thousands, thousands have been listening to that. Have you been listening back again? Uh, it's me. I actually listened 4,000 times. Okay. Yeah, all just right. to see how it sounded. But it was uh, lovely, and uh, the one we went round Ravensdale. Oh, oh, yes. Off the scale. Have you not bought that one yet? It's so, It's been sold. Oh. And, and sadly not to me. The, be- oh. the beautiful Ravensdale Castle uh, up in the north of the island off Balaf there. Been on the market for a long time and if you go back onto the podcasts, uh, you can find our walk around about a year ago, I think, when uh, Beth organised a fantastic walk around this beautiful house and gardens. Fascinating. If only we had the money. We didn't, sadly, but we did at least have the pleasure of walking around it. Some lucky person has now bought it and, well, it's up to them what they do with it now, whether it becomes a hotel or another beautiful house. But uh, go and have a listen. Wonderful stuff. In the meantime, though, um, more new adventures and weird and wonderful things. Pretty much anything goes. Beth Espy at MaxRadio.com or Howard Kane at MaxRadio.com if you've got any ideas of weird and wonderful things or just things you think, I wonder, which is what it's all about, Tammy Ginders, I wonder. So what I've been wondering about then? Well, first of all, we are going to, over the next few weeks, talk about well-known people in the Isle of Man. So those historical figures, perhaps, that you've heard of but maybe don't know the full story about. And there was one that I was particularly interested to start off with. And it's all about somebody who lived in Sulby but actually didn't necessarily live where I thought he did. I'm Katie King and I'm the Curator of Art and Social History for Manx National Heritage. And Katie, we are here today because we want to find out about some of the famous people from the Isle of Man. And we're going to start off with Arthur Cayley. What can you tell us about him? Well, it's a good choice to start off with. Arthur Cayley is probably one of the most well-known figures on the Isle of Man. Um, He has many names, Arthur Cayley, um, the Manx giant, you might know him more as. Um, Born in Sulby in 1824, and then he's got quite a complicated history. Um, But ultimately, he ends up in America and was performing as a giant in a circus act in Barnum Circus. And he performed in a show called The Greatest Show on Earth. And he was performing then as Colonel Ruth Goshen, the Palestinian giant or the Arabian giant. But he has had many names and many personas and his life is mired with um, complications, shall we say, including faking his own death in Paris um, for some insurance money. But more on that. And we are here next to a cutout, which I have to say we have ascertained is accurate we think yes so this is a cutout that Charles Gard had made actually many years ago of um, a life-size photograph of Arthur Cayley or Colonel Ruth Goshen is how he's dressed in this particular um, image with his red scarlet coat and his and his great big hat Um, and I always thought it was out of proportion but in fact we got a ladder out we measured it and in fact it is seven foot eleven inches which is what he was claiming to be in terms of height or what Barnum Circus claimed he was and in some cases they said he was eight foot um, which is very tall taller than the tallest man today 
I always thought that he lived in the Sulby Glen pub, which is why <laughs> they have those massive doors. And you say he was born in Sulby, but yeah. not necessarily anything to do with that pub? No, that's been a bit of an urban legend or a country legend, maybe more accurately. Yeah, so he was born in Sulby and he was the son of a farmer and was a farmer himself. That's how he sort of, that's where his life was going. And then when he was in his late teens, early 20s, he basically stopped, he didn't stop growing and he became um, enormous. And what's unusual about Arthur Cayley in terms of being enormous is that um, he wasn't just tall he was also bulky in proportion so a lot of very very tall people people that might have been classed as giants at the time they were very tall and thin but he was very very bulky and in proportion and incredibly strong I think you know I think a lot of his act was also about being a strong man so he um in his early 20s he went to Liverpool and then to London to exhibit himself as a sort of um you know, a marvel of nature, I suppose, he was being advertised as. And yeah, so the story about the Sulby Glen pub or the Sulby Glen Hotel, um, we've recently researched that, or I haven't, some of my, um, some of our researchers have, um, and it's, that pub was built later than his time on the Isle of Man. Although he was still alive, he was still alive in America, so maybe whoever built the Sulby pub was wanting to capitalise on that story by making the doorways bigger. It certainly has got bigger doorways, and indeed, on the Isle of Man, they were selling Arthur Cayley handprints. We've got a number in the collection. There's one on display in the Museum 100 exhibition. Um, they were selling them. So they were trying to capitalise um, as a marketing initiative. Oh, come and see the home, the, t the town, the village of Arthur Cayley, the Manx giant. Makes sense, I guess. Um, I'm really excited because we are standing next to a rather exciting looking box. And I have the feeling that when we open uh -huh. it, there's going to be all sorts inside. Ooh. <laughs> what a cliffhanger that one is. Really is, isn't it? So uh, more to come from Katie a little bit later. I just want to share something with you Go in ahead. just a moment. Which this is? is a little book of Laxi, a miscellany of incidents, accidents and hot topics from Manx newspapers from 1793 until 1899. It was compiled and edited by Sue King. And this actually belonged to my father-in-law who died a couple of months ago, sadly. But I love this book. This is one that if you had it in your collection, you'd keep it in the loo. I would. It'd be right Not next directly to, in the toilet. No, obviously. on the shelf, on next, the shelf. To, the, next yes. to the... Uh, For those yeah, pondering WC. moments. Yeah, exactly. Um, so basically, it's just little snippets from newspapers from 1793 to 1899. Some of them are just priceless. So I'm going to flick through. You're going to tell me when to stop. And okay. I'm going to read one at random. Mm, stop. Okay. Oh... Oh, this is a bit of a sad one, actually. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, right. This is from the Mona's Herald, January the 18th, 1882. Sudden deaths. Two sudden deaths have occurred in Lonnon during the week. A little fellow named Crane, who was at school last Wednesday, died on Friday morning from brain disease. And Esther Cowell, a widow aged 87 years, was found dead in bed on Saturday morning. She had suffered from heart disease for a long period and was of excitable temperament. As you are at 87. Yeah. I like the phrase little fellow. That I sort know. of uh, makes it quite The sweet, descriptions in here. Sad. But oh, yes. Uh, the page mm. you picked actually is a lot of uh, strong beds of disease, fatal accident leaves orphan children. Oh, a good one we'll there, probably go I? for a, a more jolly one next yeah. time, maybe. Look, look but, something jolly next week. But I love that, that little glimpse into history. It's just fascinating. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm funnily enough as well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping in the next uh, a month or two to carry on a little bit with the fantastic work of the uh, late, great Terry Kringle oh. uh, with his history man. And 
and uh, I've been missing it. I don't know whether other people have been. So I thought, you know, as I'm rapidly morphing into Terry Kringle, sort of light, as it were. Um, but with less swearing. <laughs> so far. Then I thought, yeah, something along those lines. So I've been uh, working on another little bit like exactly like that. I'm going back, digging into some of the papers, maybe taking a topic in the news of late and then having a just quick rummage round on some of the papers to see how that topic was dealt with or when it's come up again in the 100, 200 years in the past. Well, mm. I wonder if something that will crop up in the future that people look back on are our little challenges. Well, you never know. You never know. It's uh, <laughs> I always enjoy these. Again, anything uh, anything goes pretty much. The sort of stuff that you might see on YouTube or whatever other social media platform you're on. I mean, it's full of them, isn't it? People doing sometimes dangerous things. We're not going to do anything dangerous. Sometimes just not funny today. things, sometimes silly things. And sometimes things you make think, oh, does that work? And uh, one that popped up recently was a, a chap sort of saying, here we go, I'll show you how to win a dollar, or worse to that effect. He was American. Uh, I think he was. And the idea was, right, if you give someone, like we have here, either a cork or a, a toilet roll, an empty toilet roll, and you say to them, right, get get it to uh, stand on end. Drop it onto the onto the table and get it to stand on end. It's what he said. You see, so he had one like this, or cork like this. It's not going to work now, of course, but he said it worked every time. It doesn't work every time for me, but there we go. So he said, most people sort of say, right, you've got to try and get it on end. So you've got okay. to drop it and get it to stand on its end. And doing it this way is pretty difficult. Right. Whereas if you drop it sideways, ooh, almost, I'm not going to be able to do it now. Oh, Yay. it did actually work. Not okay. bad. you just got to get it from the right height. Oh, twice in a row. Pretty good, huh? Oh, not quite. Nice. And I think it works with corks as well, you see. You sort of drop it on the, on the end, but if you drop it on its side... Gosh, isn't that you fascinating? You reckon? That's a good one. You're going to take that down the pub and make a few quid yeah, with all your mates down there? I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. You, you know, when you're pulling off the top of a bottle with your teeth. Yep. There you go. I'll leave that one with you. So if you've got, you know, if you're just finishing a loo roll as you're listening to the podcast, keep the loo roll. Go into the kitchen and try it on the table. Yeah, do you want to I'm going to have a quick go. Have a go. Right. Okay. So, so, so you need to drop, obviously there. But... You need to drop it from. That's it. Yay! There I you did go. it first time. Pretty good, huh? Almost. Oh, oh the yes. Cork, not so much. Bit lower. Bit lower. Bit higher. Bit middle. Not playing lower. the flipping card play cards, right? Uh, are we? No, I'd, yeah, stick, I'd some... stick with the loo roll. Right, OK. I'd stick with the loo roll. You are listening, indeed, of course, to Tammy Ginder's What Else? The program, the program where you can just wonder about the wonders of life. Right, here we go. And then back to the uh, Sulby Giant and uh, Katie King. Where do we leave it? On a cliffhanger with a box. On a cliffhanger. <laughs> With Beth's box. So we're standing next to a grey box. What have you got in here, Katie? Well, we've got some belongings, items of clothing that belonged to Arthur Cayley, the Manx giant, or Colonel Ruth Goshen. Um, a pair of boots and a left shoe. So let me show you what we've got here. So I'm going to open the box. And you should say you're wearing some protective gloves, I presumably to protect the, the artefacts. Yeah, yeah. So these are leather boots and they are really vulnerable, particularly the left shoe. Um, has got a lot of wear, so I'm trying to avoid my oily hands get, getting onto it. Um, so I'm going to lift it out onto the tissue. So this is the left shoe as worn by uh, the Manx giant. Now, as I said before, we have had this measured and it is supposed to, this would be a UK size 19 now, um, which actually, compared to his scale, is not that enormous, really. There you are. 
Um, Beautifully uh, made, isn't it? Yeah, and this is actually relatively, um, relatively recent addition to our collection. It was donated by um, somebody who collects circus memorabilia. Um, so let me put that there, and then I'll show you the boots. The boots have been in our collection a really long time. They were donated um, in the 1920s, so they're quite an early um, part of our collection. And I believe, I'm right in saying, um, that these were more likely to be from when he was living on the island um, for them to have been in our wow. collections for such a long time. So, there you are. And it's actually a really fine shoe, so it shows that there, there was some money in being a circus performer. Certainly someone as magnificent looking. They are a good size, aren't they? So yeah. can we put one of these then, Beth, down next to my size nines? I can do that. And we'll see how big they look in comparison. So let's take a look. Let's get that down. That's the right shape. Here's my, that's my size nine. There you are. Well, comparatively, if you compare your height to Arthur Cayley's, I don't think that shoe is no. as big as you'd imagine. I agree. There will have been leather shrinkage, shrinkage over the years, yeah. I suppose, as well. And if you think, Beth... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's take a look at how you that's best. Okay. So nine. What size are you, Beth? Four. Four. And a 19 in the middle. <laughs> but like you say, Kate, and this is the thing, isn't it? This is the fascinating thing about history is that stories are passed down and particularly from that time, the accuracy can't always be determined, I guess. No, and I think when we're talking about Arthur Cayley, I think my favourite thing about talking about Arthur Cayley, actually, is the his life history is really checkered. And we're even now revealing more bits of information. He's he's People love learning about him and they love researching him. And we're really fortunate that there's been a book written about him that has unpicked a lot of this very complicated story. Would you like me to tell you a bit of the complication? So, yeah, so he was born in Sulby, as I said before. He was the son of um, a farmer. He was going to go into that sort of profession, one of 12 children. Then when he continued to grow and grow and grow into his 20s, he went to London to exhibit himself. And he had a manager, Mr. Mr. Cannell, I think it was. So he had a Manx manager. And then he went to Paris in his early 20s. And at that point, his, what, his, um, his mother received a letter saying, unfortunately, he had died in Paris, that his manager, Mr. Cannell, had defrauded him of all his money. There was no money to send back to the family. And that Mr. Cannell was responsible for his death because he wouldn't get him a doctor because he was such a bad man, this Mr. Cannell. Um, that there'd been a funeral... And, you know, very sorry to hear this. And this man was his agent, his French agent. Anyway, some years later, um, Barnum, the, the circus um, legend, people, everyone's heard of Barnum and Bailey Circus, I suppose, made popular by that film, The Greatest Showman, isn't it? Yeah, it's that, so it's that era. He appears in New York and says, I've got the world's tallest man, this, this giant of a man. His name is Colonel Ruth Goshen. Um, the Palestinian giant of Jewish origin. He's travelled to America. Come and meet the tallest, tallest um, man in, um, in the world. And here we've got Colonel Ruth Goshen in front of us. And this is the actual photograph that um, Barnum was were, were putting out. Come and see this huge man. Um, got another photograph here as well. So this is his like calling card. Um, and it does actually say on the back, though you probably can't read it that it's been issued by Barnum and Bailey's of New York. 
You can so, really see the size in that photograph, yeah. can't you? And what's interesting is, so it says in prints, Colonel Ruth Goshen, age 43 years, weight 620 pounds, height 7 foot 11 inches. But over the top, somebody has annotated Arthur Cayley as Colonel Ruth Goshen. Oh. So it emerged later in life that he um, probably faked his own death or whether his agent coerced him into it, we don't know. Um, he Just before he died, uh, £2,000 was taken out, an insurance figure on his life. Um, so the current working theory is that he took the insurance money, went with his French agent to America to start a new life, um, performing as this character. And in later years, when he was living in New Jersey on a farm, he reportedly admitted that he was actually Arthur Cayley, Arthur Cayley from England or from the Isle of Man. The accounts differ. And then subsequently, some research in the 60s demonstrated that, in fact, one of his sisters, Margaret, emigrated to America, to New York. Margaret Gelling, she was married. She married um, Robert Gelling from the Isle of Man. And they, he'd actually left some money in his will to a Margaret Gelling. So they must have at some point reunited or found each other. Perhaps she emigrated to America. Loads of people from the Isle of Man were and saw her brother performing in the show, the brother she believed to have died um, many, many years ago. So there's lots of stories um, about him. He had a colourful life in America. He had three wives, one of whom was a snake charmer who ran off with a lot of his money, together with his friend, ran off with some money, um, stole his farm from him, all the bonds to this mm. farm he owned. Um, he subsequently met the sort of chap that ran off with his wife some years later and he held a pistol to him and said, give me my farm back or I'll shoot you. This is, <laughs> this is Not so bother about the wife, no. Yeah, this is, all, this is all in the American newspapers. So he certainly had a colourful life and still to the very end when he was living in New Jersey, he would, he would travel on this cart pulled by three mules um, and he'd still be telling the story about how he uh, was born in Israel um, how his mother was a lion tamer, all these different stories um, that he tell. He was obviously a raconteur. And somebody that, re somebody that remembers him living in, in New Jersey recalls that all these circus turns, these circus acts would come and visit him. So they'd have one, of, one example was America's fattest lady would travel to this little sleepy town in Middlebush in New Jersey to, to chat with her old friend. So it just, it, he had such a colourful life, like a, a true showman, a performer. Um, and he obviously lived that life as well. I just wonder what happened to Mr. Cannell, the manager. Well, I think it's all fictitious. From what I can tell, it's printed in the Manx newspapers. His mother was obviously distraught and she wrote a letter in the Manx newspapers. You can find it on our iMuseum site saying, you know, that she'd received this terribly upsetting letter from this agent saying how badly treated he'd been. Um, by this Mr. Cannell and basically warning people of the Alaman against this man. But I, I, I mean, I've not, re I've not researched this story in great detail, but I, I've never heard reference of Mr. Cannell again. So whether he was a fictitious person, I don't know. But I do feel for the mother in all this to be, you know, told her son was dead. And mm. there's no evidence he ever got in touch with the family again, except for this very um, small bit of information in his will where he clearly knew his sister was living in America. But whether they had messed up we don't know and we've seen i don't know you've seen up there beth as well there's the uh, there's the hand which i think is on there still there's a print like that or a model like that on the gatepost isn't of the house up in solby which we'll go and take a look at at some stage 
if I can remember how to get there. It's such a long time <laughs> since I've been. A bit m magical mystery well, this tour. Is a, yeah. This is a good example of the Isle of Man. So the yeah. Isle of Man knew they had this Manx giant, and yes, okay, in their mind, he died in the 1840s, perhaps, but that did stop them capitalising on it. So these were produced and sold on the Isle of Man as tourist souvenirs. Now it weighs a heck of a amount of Oh, it's very heavy. Um, so you wouldn't get that in your EasyJet allowance now. But tourists were buying these and bringing them home as a curiosity. Um, so, yeah, we've got at least six in our collection. And there's, you, they, you do see them coming up um, for sale every now and then. So they must have been produced on some quantity. And do we have any indication whether there was an actual cast of his hand done or whether it's just somebody thought, oh, I know what I'll do? Um, I have no knowledge of that at all however it's definitely a real hand it's not a mm. um it's cast off somebody it's not imaginary because you can see the lines and marks mm. on it whether it's his hand i don't know i don't know and where was he actually buried then was he buried in the, the d i don't in know in america he was in, in, in middle bush but yeah. presumably there must be a grave in paris or something in paris because he did have a funeral and the story goes again i cannot prove this in any way but the story goes that there was a massive tree trunk inside his coffin um, to get the weight. But there is a story about his funeral in Middlebush in that they found it incredibly difficult to get him out of the house um, and to build a coffin of the correct size. Right. Um, and that's interesting as well. So when he left the Isle of Man, he was claiming to be seven foot six inches. Barnum's circus were claiming he was seven foot 11 or eight foot. Um, but he did seem to be genuinely unusual in that he did... he. His growth spurt, if you will, came when he was older, when he was in his late teens and, and early 20s. So perhaps he was a genuine you know, medical marvel. Perhaps he did continue to grow his whole life. So perhaps he was um, taller um, towards the end of his life. Um, so he, he is very unusual. And I think I've said at the beginning that he is taller than the tallest man mm. today. He was very, very tall for his age. And you can see the way he towers above you if you stand next to, next to that cutout there. Not so much above me, obviously, <laughs> but what a fascinating man. Yeah, he is. He's a, he's a great character and um, enduringly popular. Yeah. The story's enduringly popular. Fascinating stuff. Uh, thanks very much to Katie King down at MNH there. And uh, if you've had a chance to go down, that the cutout is amazing. I, must have, I thought it was larger than life-size, but apparently that is pretty much as he was. We got the tape measure out and everything. So, yeah, um, in, like you say, a really fascinating story. I'm a little bit gutted that he didn't actually live in the Sulby Glen, though. I love yeah. the fact that I thought the doors were that big to accommodate him, but hey-ho. There is that hand up there somewhere, somewhere up in Sulby on the yeah, gatepost. Yeah, on the gatepost, yeah, the the matching one. Yeah, mm. fascinating stuff. We're, we're going to dip into a bit more from uh, MNH and that wonderful exhibition is terrific, well worth going down to see. It really is. Really all sorts, all sorts of stuff to go down and take a look there. Now then, um, one of the parts of this programme is our lucky dip. It is. I have been into the archive room just along the corridor from where we are speaking to you now and I've picked out a CD. I don't know what's on it. It's a suck it and see. <laughs> That's what they say. It could be anything. Massive archives there. Right, it's a CD. I've whacked it in the machine. Let's see if it's going to work. Hello, this is Mike Halewood. Are you a good enough motorcyclist to call yourself a star rider? Star rider! If you want a real challenge, try the Gold Star course run by the National Star Rider Training Scheme. It's the toughest road riding course there is, and only the best will get through the test. Not only could you save on insurance, but then you could really call yourself a star rider. Star rider! Find out more from the Star Rider Caravan behind the main grandstand. 
Look out for Rocket Ron Haslam, Mick Grant and Tony Rutter in this year's TT races. They're fired by NGK spark plugs. Make sure you choose NGK, Britain's top-selling motorcycle spark plug. NGK, the plug for winners. Andy Mack in the morning, Man's Radio. Well, gosh. Any, any idea for it? There is a year written on the back of this CD. Uh, 1979? That's very good. 1980. Oh, June the 3rd, Tuesday, June the 3rd, 1980 is what is showing on that. So, um, yeah, makes you wonder, I must admit. Uh, terrific stuff. You never know what you're going to get when you just dip into the archives like that. And uh, I like that little one. Mike Haywood, the man himself, would you believe? Incredible, isn't it? Blast from the past, hey? It is a blast from the past, as was Andy Mack. More next week, of course, one way or another. Uh, next week, we are out about taking a look at some uh, daffodils. Yes, we are. It's just the time for it, I think. Blanket of yellow. It is. Well, I hope it's a blanket yellow. Might be a blanket of white, looking at the weather of late. Whichever the way, we do hope you'll join us next week. And when there'll be more wonderings in Tammy Ginders, until then, mind that snow if it comes and uh, look after yourselves. Cheerio. Take care. Bye-bye.